previously on Corkout History. On our last episode, we talked about our little Game of Thrones in the north of the peninsula, as well as the Mozarabi and Muslim presence further south. We also dived into one of the favorite rabbit holes for Inej, the Juicy King's rabbit hole. We then talked a bit about the badass Uraka, and we came to the first record of the title of King of Portugal. And now, let's see where today gets us to. Welcome to another episode of Corkout History. Yeah, okay, so with the dead Garcia, we actually need to get back to Afonso, because... Yeah, there's only one out of the three left. Yeah, and this one um, is going to marry Constance of Burgundy in 1079, and she's going to bring a huge uh, transalpine influence uh, when she comes, and that's going to play a huge role as, as well on, like, defining the politics and how things are going to, going to be played in these kingdoms from now on. Yeah, so basically Constance, uh, when we mean Transalpine there, she comes from the kingdom of Burgundy. So that's, in today's terms, that's France. So she's bringing a lot of influence from France, a lot of people from France, a lot of knights, a lot of religious people everyone she's bringing with her to uh, the peninsula. And that's going to be really, really, really important for us and for the Kingdom of Portugal. Also, we are saying that uh, Afonso marries Constance. He, he married like five times, this guy, okay? But um, Constance is the one that's going to be... It's at least one of the two of the ones who are going to be more important for us and we don't have to go over all the ladies that he was boning. just a few so she has we were saying she brings a a lot of um french influence into the into the peninsula and is translating to a lot of french knights and a lot of um ecclesiastic influence so especially with the order of Cluny. the monastic order founded in the 10th century and as a fairly young order at the time the establishment of networks of power was fundamental to them the peninsula and its unfolding geopolitical formations were a really fertile ground on which to grow so stemming from the abbey of Cluny in burgundy where some of our characters are from it has in Constance a powerful ally in the beginning of the ten of the eleventh century, and it will further play a role in the foundational steps of Portugal as well. One thing that need, that I think we need to mention is that at this point the Iberian Peninsula is starting to be looked as um, the right stage for the second sons of the nobility to prove themselves. So all these people are coming to fight against the Moors and the infidels. Um, um, on these wars that are starting to to happen in the peninsula, of course, that's that means um, a source of income for these second sons, and those are some of the major players that we're going to be seeing in this this few next years, well, centuries in the peninsula actually, but that's why we we have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, definitely, because it's like we had this whole land that was. Um, under the occupation of the Moors who basically is there for the taking and if we're taking it from 
damn I'm, I'm making a, what you call it inverted commas with my so if you're taking it from someone then you have a lot of land to give away and distribute by the people who took it so this is extremely appealing for people who don't have much already so basically like andre was saying all the second sons and third sons because it wasn't very nice everything would go to the first one although people died a lot so maybe you know things things change um you were the first you were the second or the third you could suddenly be the one but you could also be dead. So those people wouldn't have much and usually either they turn to um, the church or they would go and look for new lands. And the peninsula was quite close and it was um, there for the taking. Uh, also with this, um, this idea of the Crusades, it's going to end the reconquest. So it started with Ferdinand I or Fernando I. And now with this influence of... France, again, modern France uh, in this, uh, with the um, Order of Cluny, it's going to become like really big into the Crusade spirit. So this whole idea of this being a holy war and of taking the lands from the infidels like um, Andre mentioned before. So until now, there was a little bit of that, but not so much of that. But now it's really going to be focused on that. I think we're gonna mention it somewhere later on, but actually soon, one of the things that I found most interesting is that um, the at some point the Pope is going to give equal value to the, um, the people crusading in the peninsula as the people crusading in Jerusalem. So, you know, if you, uh, in terms of like, I don't know, the spiritual bonus that it would get uh, get you and uh, stuff like that. It was equally has value, the Pope declared that it was equally has value to go to the peninsula, which was a lot easier because it's it's a lot closer, guys, to, well, a lot closer to a lot of people in, in, um, in France. It was a lot more convenient to go there, get the same salvation, and get lands and not go, you know, all the way across Europe and into the Holy Land. So, yeah, this is going to be a really, really crucial point in the foundation of Portugal, which we are nearing. We are, we are, we're almost there. Slowly, but we are getting there. Right, so throughout this, Afonso maintained good relations with the Moorish populations. Actually, for instance, when he conquered Toledo, which was one of the most important cities of the um, of the area, which is still amazing. Like if you go to visit Toledo today, Toledo is in more modern Spain. Touristic drums, and it's an amazing city with a lot of uh, Arabic influences. When he conquered the the city, he promised to keep up the religious freedom, and this was all very lovely and well. And then he gets out of the city, and in on the first chance that this new bishop gets, the king is out of the city, and boom, all the religious freedom goes through the window. But anyway, uh, Afonso is still seen as a good king who keeps the religious freedom for the most part, especially a king with a lot of diplomatic things going on with the, with the Moorish kingdoms. One thing also to consider when thinking about these times is there's not only a movement of conquest coming from the north to the south from the Christians onto the Moorish populations, but the Moorish populations are also facing something different, which is the Almoravid invasions. 
I would also like to say we have been referring to this as the Moorish occupation, which is not wrong, but um, it, it's a little bit tricky to refer to this time and to this period because we sometimes use the terms like Moorish, Arabic uh, somewhat interchangeably which can ring some alarm bells uh, these days, like, oh, you're not being accurate. So the best way to refer to this period and to this land would be by the name Al-Andalus. Uh, this is how the Moorish and the Moor people and the Arabic people living in the region refer to the peninsula at this time. So the kingdom, not the kingdom because there were several kingdoms, but the area was called Al-Andalus, just in the same way that there were many different Christian kings uh, and rulers and leaders and everything. There were many, many different rulers on the side of the Moors. There were Moors, like we keep referring to them, but there were also Berbers or later on Almoravids, like we are about to, to talk about, and Arabs. So when you look at it from the Christian perspective, they were all the other but these mm -hmm. were not the same people at all, and they were coming from different parts. Yeah, it's definitely not an homogenic group of, of people. It's very diverse. Yeah. One thing that they had in common was the religion. So they were mm -hmm. all Muslim, but they are all coming from different regions. Yes, and now the Almoravid invasions. From 1086 to 1109, shit hits the fan with the Almoravid invasions. These come in waves, but the effects are disastrous. These invasions are extremely aggressive and they plunge the peninsula into an absolute chaos. The invading Almoravids want to overthrow the Taifa kingdoms. They don't think basically that they are seriously enough, having like all these different little kings and making alliances with the Christians and no, 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 they're having none of that. So basically they want to rule over all of them and they want to rule over everything. So, of course, that this uh, once again plays to the power balances in the peninsula and changes them and shifts how things um, work between all these different powers. So this results in many taifas allying themselves with the Christian king to try to prevent falling into the Almoravid hands. Yeah, so the borders had always fluctuated back and forth between Christians and Muslim territories until now. But now they start receding fast as the Almoravids take the place by storm. So basically we had like go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, mostly with the, with the Christians gaining terrain. But now they're losing it fast. It is in this scenario that Afonso, in hopes of enhancing his image as the champion of the Muslims in, of the peninsula against the Almoravids. So he wants to come as, uh, come to me, I am going to protect you, uh, all the typhus who are here against these bad, bad, aggressive Almoravids coming in. And in hopes to do this and to come forward as a more inclusive king, he starts a relationship with Zaida. Zaida is the daughter-in-law of the ruler of the Taifa of Seville, so one of the most important Taifas in the in the kingdom. Uh, she's the daughter-in-law of the of this ruler, and he starts a relationship with her in hopes of uh, coming across as a very inclusive and open king. Is that what you think? Is it in a hopes of coming across as an inclusive king, or is it, or was it a true love oh, story? Am I being too cynic? <laughs> 
perhaps I am being too yeah. cynical. Perhaps this is uh, the most romantic, you know, the, 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 the forbidden romance, most beautiful uh, love story. Yes. We have a love story here across yeah, we like do. crossed we lovers, do. across religion, and here I am, like coming awful cynic. And uh, well, let's not forget that this guy was like killing his own brother. Banging his sister. Yeah, no, yeah, no one can blame you. No I'm one just can being blame mean. Don't, know, don't, don't, don't. Please don't, no. don't state this in any of your uh, papers, guys. He wasn't <laughs> banging his sister and he did not kill his brother. Well. Anyway. Well, yeah. He certainly did bang Zyda or Zaida. He did, he did, who, he did. Uh, yeah, Andre is going to tell us about her. We're in for another rabbit hole. I should have said that. Rabbit hole, rabbit hole, rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. And this one, guys, you are not seeing this coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. No. What no, are you no. thinking? It's different. Go on. Yeah. So so who is this uh, Zaida? There has been quite a few things written about her, but there's a lot that we don't know. What we do know is that, yeah, she had a relationship with Afonso. And from that relationship will come... She was on the run, and she came to the king, and the king protect her. So who is this woman? Zaida was a Moorish princess um, that was related to the Emir of Cordoba. And... Was married. Wasn't she married to him, though? I have that she was... I have that she was married to the to the ruler of Cordoba, and she right. was daughter-in-law I think, I think of the ruler of Sevilla. Sure. Right. So, Zaida was actually a, she was a Moor princess that was somehow related to the Emir of Cordoba. Some people say she was married to him. Some other sources say that she was just related. It's very unclear what was the relationship there. Okay, so when I said that she was daughter-in-law of the Taifa of Sevilla, maybe that's not the case. Yeah, but that's one of the theories that's around. Apparently she could have been uh, daughter-in-law and that her husband died. And it's after the death of her husband that she runs away and takes refuge in Afonso's kingdom. However, some sources say that the relationship between the two started before that. All in all, we really don't know, and it's not me and you who's going to find any clarity on that right oh, now. Oh, definitely not. So, definitely so we not. can just move on, and she becomes the lover of Afonso, and later she actually becomes queen. How could he resist it? This is a damsel in distress 101. Everything is very problematic. Was she seeking protection? Was she kidnapped? Is this what is this kind of relationship? Uh, we definitely know that there was a sexual relationship going on with Afonso, but was this a consensual relationship? Is it a sign of coexistence between the two, or is it just like a confident statement of power? So, Afonso the sixth, he's the man. He's the one with all the power. He's also a king. And he's the king who's offering her protection. And she has her kids with him. So is this consensual? Is this not? We don't know. Is she a lover? Is she going to become his queen? That's one of the theories. Is she his concubine? We're not sure. Probably a lot of 
I don't want to say blurred lines. I hate that expression. I think it can be uh, very, very problematic. But uh, the truth here is that simply we don't know. This was all happening like in the 11th century, guys. We can choose to look at it one way or the other, but we have to bear these things in mind. Especially as we look at some of our sources with fresh eyes. And then one of the reasons as well that I had in mind when I decided that we were going to do a podcast, for instance, was to look at things from sometimes from a different angle and question a little bit the um, the narrative proposed. Yeah, and uh, there's also the problem of the sources. There's very little sources that are contemporary to this. Mostly they were written after. And of course, when you're talking about sources in this period, it's a male yeah, voice that yeah, we're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And intensely politicized everything has like religion and holy wars included in this. A lot of it sometimes comes like 400 years after the fact and we yeah, take them yeah. like at face value because we have nothing else to go on about so <laughs> sources are an issue we're like oh uh, this happened in the 11th century but um this chronicle from the 14th century tells us all about it and we take it exactly it's the equivalent of us not having any records from like the 17th century and suddenly you have a report written now mm-hmm and exactly, you take exactly. it at face value because yeah. you have nothing else. Exactly. And maybe yeah. they copied it from somewhere, although you don't know. Yeah, you really don't know. So we do know that they had a relationship and that's as far as factual as we can go. And there was offspring um, of this relationship. Very important for Portugal's history. To our story. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Guys, guys, I know that sometimes we do get lost and it might not sound as if we're making sense, but this is all leading up to something. There is, you know, a faint there plot is, line along is. the along the script. We yes. tried. We, we tried. We're to. getting somewhere very slowly, but we are. We are indeed. Exactly, and we are covering uh, like a long period of time, so things are not like unless you make them so, and if you make them like all neat and tidy, you're gonna lose things in there. You're probably lying, and you are, lo- are definitely losing a lot in there. Which we still are because we glossed over a lot of things that are extremely mm-hmm. interesting. But we hope we can keep this going. Things get interesting as we start to analyze a few other um, chronicles. One of them says that uh, Zaida is actually converted to and become uh, a Catholic and adopted the name of Isabel. If we believe this then this would actually mean that Zaida has been one of the queens of Afonso. Although it is a theory, guys. We're not... Yeah, yeah. Don't don't go and tell in your papers that this was a thing. We yeah. are not sure. We're I not lo- saying I that. Love how, how you, uh, I love how you're uh, assuming that people, people are going to quote are gonna us. Quote us. Yeah, on our first episodes but here. Yeah, but I right. No, but if right. one person, like, if out of the, like, three people, well, I'm hoping, like, my parents will listen to my to my Right, episode, okay, and, okay. We well, have my three, parents are not going to mention it, though, in In, in their papers, papers. now. Mm-hmm. No. Anyway. We're not... This is not set on sound, but do bear with us, and we'll try to explain how this theory might be true. So we know that there was a relationship between Afonso and this more person. We know that there was a son... <laughs> <laughs> more... 
princess. <laughs> Sorry, not person. More person. So there's more person than the king. So we know that we know that the Afonso and this uh, Moorish princess had a had a relationship. We also know that Zaida is actually uh, the woman who gave him his son. This son, who was his only son, um, although his he only was. Male heir. <laughs> <laughs> no, not there this, yet. He's only this, male son. Yeah, male yeah. son. Well, obviously, yeah. he's only male son. <laughs> and this, so this son that um, Afonso and Zaida had was the only male son for Afonso. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, guys, it's been right. too many glasses of wine at this point. Right, so Afonso had a son. <laughs> He only had one. <laughs> so after like <laughs> after like four marriages, this guy yeah. only had one fucking son. And although it wasn't crucial, these people did like to have one male guy to whom to leave the kingdom to. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very important had... that you actually mentioned that it's it wasn't crucial, but still it was important. And that's why this illegitimate son will later become his legitimate heir hair and that's important for what comes next and and the relationship between Afonso and Zaida because despite having you know daughters uh, legitimate daughters he does want to get this son legitimized so he turns this son uh, into his main heir son into uh, his legitimate heir so yeah so he can basically inherit the whole kingdom on the list of things that we do know about Zaida are that she had this son that we've talked about and that she was christened and changed her name to Isabel. Now things get interesting because Afonso's wife dies and after three months only he marries someone called Isabel. And from that moment on, Sancho the son that he had had with Zaida becomes uh, in the documents mentioned as the legitimate heir of Afonso. Hmm. The theory being put forward is that perhaps this Zaida who becomes Isabel and the queen who he marries, he has I think two other daughters with, are one and the same person. For me, I think it does make sense in the sense that um, his son becomes legitimized on the way. And so he kind of, okay, she's now a Christian and she's now named Isabel and I'm going to actually marry her. And this child made out of wedlock is now suddenly my heir to the whole kingdom because he has a penis. Clap! That's great. I'm, I'm gonna um, take that away from Inez now and the the, the penis <laughs> and just say that there are a few other things that make us believe in that and like the few historians that believe that Isabel and Zayda are the same person, they also say that it would never be possible for another woman's son to become legitimized as the ruling heir and that unless that woman would become a queen. And, and it's all too much of a coincidence in terms of chronology, how it happens. That yeah, I mean, if if the new queen who he had just married, this supposed Isabel, would not have been the same person as Zayda, then she probably would not have allowed the protagonism of Sancho in detriment of her 
possible future sons. So they just got married and there he goes and he turns this bastard into the legitimate heir. I mean, if he just got married, you you can possibly still have male heirs, which would then inherit the kingdom. So it's not like they took uh, women's opinions too much into consideration back then, but there was still that possibility in the future. So she probably wouldn't have been for it. Also, I have found reference to some documents where it's only one document for sure, but where there is reference to Afonso VI and Queen Isabel and Sancho is mentioned as our son. So it is only one document, but just because it's only one doesn't mean... Well, it means what it means. It's just one document, but... It is one document. So yeah, and his mention has our son. Yeah. There's just one other one other document that I would like to mention here. The Chronicle of the Bishop of Oviedo, which is a city in Spain, for those of you who might not be aware of that. There's a chronicle that's written a hundred years later. And on that chronicle, the bishop actually goes to the women of Afonso. And when he talks about Isabel... He actually says that she's the daughter of Louis of France. Problem is, there's no such thing as Louis of France in uh, Isabel's, Zaida's, Afonso's time. So, this whole effort of trying to make up a story might just mean that... Where she's not, she's not Moorish, but she's, you know, the daughter of the queen, of the king of France, except... There's no King of France named Louis, but uh, hey, what did they know, right? I mean, yeah. Now that we're coming to a close, I just thought it would actually be important to mention that Constance of Burgundy, with whom this episode started, uh, had already died by now, uh, and she was just the second wife of Afonso VI of Castile and Zaida. If she did turn into Isabel, she comes into the picture as the fourth one, on an ever-growing list of marriages. So, you know, too many things, too many coincidences, and too many, especially when, when, when we're looking at the dates and stuff, it's like, yeah, it gets hard to say that it would be someone else, and yeah. Don't quote us on that. I keep thinking that someone is going to quote us on that. You on do, something. you do, Isn't that's it amazing? special. I know, I know, I know, I know, don't quote us on that. Um, I don't want your big grades on me. The... <laughs> Now, why does this all matter, apart from being a cute story that we wanted to include? It matters because it's because of Afonso that two other guys are gonna make a treaty. But we'll get to those other guys in a minute. We'll get to those other guys in a minute, and they are big! But before, we have something even better for you. Yeah, we do, we do. So, the story with Zyda doesn't and here, and it actually comes very close to home for our British listeners, because... Well, assuming we have any. Well, we do. Of course we do. What are you saying? Of course we do, yeah. But, oh. yeah, so, right. Zaida, My boyfriend just... better listen to it. <laughs> so, in 1986, uh, Zaida resurfaces again, and there's another theory concerning Zaida that comes very close to home for our British... In 1986? In 1986, yes, Zayda shows up again by the hands of Brooks Baker. Brooks Baker is a genealogist. Uh, he links Zayda to Queen Elizabeth II. No 
else but Lilibeth the second. Yes, gasp. And <laughs> the shock. What? Yes. So not only links uh, Zaida to Elizabeth, but he also links the three, the two of them, to Muhammad. Yeah. Yes. The prophet. Like that's the prophet we're talking about. Yeah. So he links Elizabeth, Zaida, and Mohammed, the prophet. Yeah, so what he's saying is mm-hmm. that our lovely queen, Elizabeth II, might be related to the prophet Mohammed. No, no, he goes further. He says that she's a, in direct line of descendancy from Mohammed. <laughs> the line would actually go from a direct descendant of Mohammed to Zaida. And then to Elizabeth and would get in the mix through Sancha and Edward IV. I'm not really sure how this happened. Yeah, but you can Google it, guys. Yeah, just I Google mean, it. Yeah, we're not just going to go no. through a, a row of names on no, how no, 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 no. this all happened. My but... biggest disclaimer is saying that even the History Channel thinks it's clickbait. So... Yeah, so, you know, when History Channel thinks it's clickbait, I mean... Yeah, yeah, we're lost. I mean, yeah. yeah stop your horses but it is a fun theory is it not it is it definitely is our lovely queen has a direct line yeah yeah of the of prophet muhammad i mean going through the likes of zaida in the middle which jesus in the fucking peninsula okay did you see that coming you did not i mean you did not not. i did not i surely did not yeah Actually, I have to say, when we were discussing where to uh, start our first, like, episode, season, whatever, I remember us reading about this and then being like, oh, well, that's it then. That's it? <laughs> it's going to be the yeah. foundation yeah. of Portugal. True. And how good old Lizzie is related to the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, but through through the peninsula, yeah. Great. <laughs> through great us, stuff. okay? Through Don't us. take the protagonism away. I think we come to the end of our second rabbit hole. But do bear in mind that this will have its importance in what's to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like we went on a complete tangent. We did. But um, this is all going to be uh, closely related to the future of the independence of Portugal. Sort of. Kind of. We did go a bit on a limb there. And this is where we'll stop for now. Stick with us and join us in the next episode of Corkout History in two weeks. Until then, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Corkout History Pod and on Twitter at Corkout History, where you can reach out to us, let us know your thoughts, and discover more about the upcoming episodes. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. Your comments are crucial so that more people can find us. Bye! Bye.